Hello, SMADs, single moms and dads. What you're about to listen to is part two of our conversation with David Watkins, our friend from across the pond. Dad B, being a dad on purpose. And the focus of this conversation, why is it that our expectations of single dads or dads period is so low? Our perception of what a dad, especially a single dad is. We hope you enjoy it. Why do we not have faith? In single dad. We don't see men as, as capable caregivers. We, we see them as, I don't know, um, engineers and, and workers and... Providers. Providers. We see them reluctantly dragged into relationships where children are or pulled into the role of fatherhood because of mistakes or because they have to, you know, because they've been asked to. The, the lens is slightly warped when we look at men and children. They're not meant to fit together like mother and child. It's just a very strange thing that society has kind of, a pressure that society puts on men. If you want children from an early age, that's slightly wrong. It's also because they've been conditioned to believe that fatherhood is not innate, that it's something that's foisted upon you, that it's something that you have to get to grips with, that you have to come to terms with. It's not something that you would choose, that it's something you have to bring outside of yourself. But I think, you know, we need to be teaching our boys actually being a father and being that is something that's always always with us you know and it is something that can be easily reached for it doesn't have to be a struggle it doesn't have to be something that is full of resentment and obligation that's something that can come from a place of pure love you know and from an earlier age that's what i want to teach miles i mean miles will always know he made me <laughs> as much as i made him there wasn't a day when it wasn't going to just be us two that was always part of the plan single dad why are you mad 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 Single dad, why you mad? Single dad, why you mad? Single dad, why you mad? Uh, my my I, like my burning question is, how did you choose your surrogate? Like, what? Well, that that is a good question. Um, so the answer to that is, you don't. The surrogate chooses you. Nah. Uh, that's you know that is if you unless you know a family member who's willing to be a surrogate for you you um, put yourself out there, you join organizations that um, run social events for surrogates and intended parents, and you get to know these women on a social level, and you really have to wait until they make an offer. It's, um, it's, it's completely within protocol for, for them to make that offer. And if you um, ask a surrogate, will you be my surrogate? That is something that could get you banned from the organization. Oh, wow. Um, it's really, yeah, it's because they have to, that's a, that's a safeguard, you know. Otherwise, you'd get these people coming in and you get women that are just inundated with requests right, right. and they want to create a safe space where these women can be. So, it, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're told very early on that, you know, one of the hard and fast rules is you must not ask a woman, will you be my surrogate? The other, the other complication is in the UK, although surrogacy is legal, it is actually illegal to advertise for surrogate or to pay a surrogate anything more than expenses. So if you went on to Facebook and started in some of these independent groups, for instance, independent surrogacy groups, if you went onto these forums and started approaching women and asking, I'm looking for a surrogate, will you be my surrogate? That could be misconstrued as breaking the law because you're advertising your oh, need for a surrogate. So you've got to tread very carefully that yes, it is legal in this country, but there are some caveats to that that you've got to be careful of. You know, there, you've got to do it the right way. So 
in answer to your question, how did I, how did I find a surrogate? It was just being, you know, going into these organizations, putting myself out there, getting to know people on a social level. And then at some point, uh, a, a woman in, 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 in the Midlands in England looked at my profile, uh, looked at some of my posts. I, I'm assuming talked to a couple of people who'd met me and thought, you know, I might want to get to know this guy actually. And we ended up meeting at a social. And from that point, she and her family, I met her family as well. And she came away from that social. And the next day I got a phone call from the organization to say that this woman would like to offer to get to know you more. And then through that process, an offer of being my surrogate was made to me. So, so very much like dating. <laughs> absolutely. It feels like speed dating. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I remember the first time I met her and the nervousness I felt because it was, you know, we're sort of looking across each other from the table and it's like kind of checking each other out, you know, right. she's, she, she's a straight woman, happily married to her husband. I'm a gay man, but we're sort of sitting opposite the table kind of going like, is this going to work? Can we make it work? Like, do I like you? Do you like me? Like, you know, what are your interests? What are my interests? And, you know, so it is like speed dating. You feel so, you have to show the best side of yourself. You have to right. present yourself in a certain manner. You fear rejection. If I say this, what will she think? You know, are there any other intended parents, any other single guys around here that she prefers? Very bizarre, you know. Yeah. That, that, that's got to be very strange. Because there, you know, because in your head, there's also the physical component, not necessarily from you going, oh, I want you and I desire you, but like, oh, what genetic traits are you going to pass on to my child? Well, that's, that's, that's true. Yes, absolutely. And that's true. I mean, I didn't um, have to deal with that because I made a decision that I wanted to use an egg donor. So my surrogate, her name's Faye. She was, um, a, for me, a gestational surrogate. So what that means is um, the embryo is created outside of her in a clinic with a donor egg and the embryo is implanted into Faye. So I don't share, so Faye doesn't share any biological connection to Miles. Okay. But that's not to say that Faye wouldn't have considered that if I wanted to do that. Um, she, she, we did talk about using her own egg in the, in the beginning, but I had already, I already had made my embryos. My embryos were on the ice, good to go. So um, it wasn't really, a matter of discussion that was kind of off the table but there are plenty of other intended parents who do use traditional surrogacy where you use the surrogate's egg and so and, oh go ahead david and and what does something like that cost so in the in the uk um it well gestational surrogacy can cost anything between um 30 to 50 sometimes thousand so I would say an, av an average would be around, well, an average would be around maybe 35. It can, it can be a lot less. It depends on um, the surrogate's expenses. It depends on how quickly you conceive, like whether you have one or two or three embryo transfers, how many times you use the clinic. It, it can depend upon a lot of things. Um, if you do a traditional surrogacy, so if you circumvent the clinic completely, so you're doing home inseminations, you don't even need to go to have IVF. You know, you're, you're, you're cutting off like, you know, for, for, an, for an egg donor program, you, you don't need that. It could be about 15 grand. So you can do um, traditional surrogacy for as little. If everything falls into place and you get the lowest end on everything in terms of expenses and things that happen, you could do straight surrogacy or traditional surrogacy in the UK for about 7,000. 
Okay. So um, um, before we, we get down too far, talk a little bit, though, about your need to be a father, your desire to procreate. You know, um, and, and let me go back a little bit further, you know, from that. What is your, uh, oh, is that you? What, what is your family um, uh, background? What did your mom, dad raised? What? What is that? So um, I have one sister who's two years older than me. I have my mum and dad are still alive. They're in their 70s. Um, they uh, have been together for, oh, I don't know, went 50, 50, 50 years maybe? Um, maybe a little less. They've got their wedding anniversary come up. I should know this. Um, what's Ruby? What's the Ruby wedding anniversary? No idea. <laughs> if, if I ever make it there, I'll be dead and gone. No idea. <laughs> They've had the Ruby one. They had the Ruby one a couple of years ago. Ruby anniversary. Are you Googling that? I am absolutely Googling that because of that. So they've done the So it's like a few years, maybe 47? 40th. Is it Ruby? Ruby's 40th. Okay. Yeah, so I think they're about 47. Yeah, that makes sense. I think they're about 47 years of marriage. Um, stayed together all their marriage. You know, we had a relatively normal, relatively normal upbringing in middle class suburbia. Um, nothing extraordinary happened to me apart from I had a terrible time at school, hated school, absolutely hated school. Terribly bullied. Yeah, traumatized. Um, but uh, came out of that always empathizing with the underdog. Always trying to figure out who was the saddest person in the room and gravitating to that person. So kind of had an, I felt had a kind of natural empathy for kids <laughs> who are often misunderstood and often invisible and often just trying to get by, struggling to get by and to be heard. So went into teaching, I suppose, not, um, not really thinking about it because actually teaching was probably the worst profession that I could go into having such a terrible experience at school. It was like re-traumatizing myself, getting back into a classroom. But I definitely did have a very strong affinity with um, children and empathy for children. And I think that's my kind of earliest memory of wanting to be a caregiver was was finding a role for myself in the classroom as a teacher and that and and then i remember i'm sorry if i'm kind of going on now i know you asked about family no, that's fine that's fine Thank you go on. um i remember very keenly a, a one class one year and um i remember a couple of kids in the class i know you're not really meant to have your favorite kids when you're a teacher but there are a couple of kids in the class that you know i thought were really they were really something you know they're really really special kids that i had a real affinity towards you know and um throughout the day you know i i think it was one particular day and there were a couple of um issues with kids being pushed around or kids being misunderstood and they would come to me and i'd get them together and they'd work it out and i really felt like i was teaching them something like over and above just the kind of abc and the the the, the maths and all that kind of stuff like real like real life stuff real life lessons right. yeah stuff they needed to know, not like that sort of dry kind of anodyne curriculum that they will foister on everyone from the moment that they can hold a pencil. Um, but like really important stuff that I wish I'd learned at school, like how to say stop, how to say that's not okay. And, um, and at the end of the day, when the parents came to pick up the children, it's like I had my hands on their shoulders as they were coming out of the door. And it's like, 
I don't want to let these kids go. <laughs> like, I don't want the lessons to stop. I don't want to not be in their life. I don't want to fade away. I want to solve their problems. <laughs> I want to go back and figure out what's happening to them at home and if they're worried about anything. It's like, it wasn't enough to just be that person in the school day. It's like, I wanted it to continue. And I think that was the start of me really developing this paternal connection with kids and wanting to, to be there from morning, noon and night. And then once I acknowledged that in myself, I noticed that I started to become really, really jealous when I saw dads in the playground with their young children. And I realized then that, that that's what I wanted to be. It's like, I wanted to be a dad. Cause I was, I, you know, if I saw a dad, if I saw a dad with a child and it would be specifically sometimes boys, if I saw a dad, like with, especially if they would like, put them on their shoulders and walk, you know, walk away from school or, you know, just a, something, a slight kind of tap on the head or did you have a good day? Those kind of things. It would really affect me because like I could see myself doing that. I wanted that for myself. I was so jealous in those early days until I could really kind of articulate what it was. Um, but you talk about, you know, you talk about body clocks and you talk about um, what it uh, biological imperatives and biological... I think I always had that. I just couldn't find a voice for it, you know? Right. And, I, and I think, you know, that question that I dread is, when did you want to become a dad? That question is asked of men because it's really hard for people to understand that men want to be dads when they're young, that a male can want to be a primary caregiver when they're young. You don't have to um, wait for the biological clock to start ticking, you know? People don't understand that imperative from an early age. They only understand it in the context of people looking back on their life and regretting that they haven't done something or that they're late to the party or they feel this sudden crushing pressure to be something. They don't understand men in the context of wanting to be dads from an early age as they do with women. And that's sad as well because we don't support men to be dads as an early age. We don't promote fathers as an, at an early age. You know, we don't care for men. And we just have a lot of men, all, you know, who, who are struggling to be young dads. So there's no support out there for them because we don't have any faith in it that they can handle it. Right. So we write them off really early. <laughs> I don't know in America if that's the case, but... Oh, yeah, that's the absolutely case. Is. We have no faith in them that they can support it. But tell me why you think they, we don't have any faith in the fact that they can support it. Why do we not have faith in single dads? We don't see men as, as capable caregivers. We, we, we see them as, I don't know, um, engineers and, and workers and... Uh, providers. Providers. We don't see them, yeah, we don't see them as caregivers. Um, we see them reluctantly dragged into relationships where children are or pulled into the role of fatherhood because of mistakes or... Um, because they have to, you know, because they've been asked to. We don't, the, the lens is slightly warped when we look at men and children. They're not meant to fit together like mother and child, you know? It's, a, it, it's, it's just a very strange thing that society has kind of, a pressure that society puts on men. If you want children from an early age, that's slightly wrong, you know? It's also because they've been conditioned to believe that fatherhood is not innate that it's something that's foisted upon you, that it's something that you have to get to grips with, that you have to come to terms with. It's not something that you would choose, that it's something you have to bring outside of yourself. 
but but I think you know we need to be teaching our boys actually being being a father and being that is something that's always always with us you know and it is something that can be easily reached for it doesn't have to be a struggle it doesn't have to be something that is full of resentment and obligation but something that can come from a place of pure love you know and from an earlier age so I mean that's what I want to teach Mars I mean Mars will always know that he you know like he made me <laughs> as much as I made him there wasn't a day when it wasn't going to just be us two that was always part of the plan and I'll accept, I'll accept what, plan, what is your plan to tell him um when he asks when he comes home from school one day and says where's my mommy or I'm pretty sure you'll have that discussion with him when he's young what is your plan to tell him well I was telling him last night but he doesn't quite understand it yet I'll play these kind of recordings and um, we, we got followed by the BBC actually. They did a documentary on our journey. So that's out there. So he can look at all this stuff. I will be telling him from, you know, as soon as he is able to comprehend the exact nature of what is going on. You know, I have contact with Faye. I, I, we, we still see each other. We still contact each other. I'm part of their family as they are part of mine. Um, none, none of his origins will be hidden from him. Even to go even further, when he's 18, he has the right to track down, well, no, that's not the quite, quite the right phrase. He has the right to find out information about his egg donor. He can track down his egg donor if she chooses to reciprocate. She may not choose to reciprocate, but he can have identifiable information on her. He'll have more information on the egg donor than I will. So he will know more information about his origins than I will when he's 18. What he chooses to do with that information is up to him. Are there any biases in um, Europe and or um, the town you live in and or the culture over there in Europe for gay men who want to have children like this? Are there any biases? What do you mean biases? By Prejudice. biases, like mean people give you a hard time. Um, I think... So let me preface that by saying, in the United States here, we got a whole bunch of Bible, what do we call them? Bible, Bible, um, Bible thumpers. <laughs> Bible bashers. thumpers who, um, you know, would give you a hard time here in the United States. I think that, um, well, my personal experience of it is I don't, it's, it's, never, it's never been an issue for me. Um, is there homophobia in the UK? Absolutely. Is there institutionalized homophobia, direct, indirect homophobia? Yes. Everyday homophobia? Yes. Um, do gays and lesbians have equal rights as straight people on the whole? Um, the communities that I mix in, the surrogacy communities, a large proportion of the people there are gay because it is the, you know, the root to parent, biological parenthood for many gay people. Um, I've never felt oppressed by anyone enforcing their views on me. Those are the occasional Twitter spat where people go off on one and all sorts of horrible language is used but I've never felt it's been a problem for my journey. And I think on the whole, the culture in the UK is very supportive of anyone having the right to create the family that they see their way. There will always be people who think that surrogates are being manipulated, who um, think it's anti-feminist, who believe that um, gay men shouldn't have children, that they should adopt instead, all those kind of, you know, pre prejudices are out there. But you, 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 you tend to see a lot of rallies in the US with people with these very hardline views. You, you wouldn't get that really in the UK. Okay, they don't have that level of power, that voice. They don't have that 
um, that cabal, they don't have that level of influence, really. I don't think so. The law is there in the UK to protect us from that kind of discrimination. But my journey has never really been about my sexuality. So although ultimately, I suppose it was my sexuality that brought me to surrogacy, um, when I set up the work, because I set up my website, dadby.uk, and it's a website, it could have been a website for single gay men, but when I was doing it, I realized what I, the journey that I was on is actually applicable to any man. You know, it's got nothing to do with um, what your sexuality is. It's got to do with men deciding they want to be single dads. Yeah. And, and as much as it is gay men not wanting to wait around for a partner to do it with, it is straight men not wanting to wait around for a partner to do it with. I just think it's incredible that a straight man now in the UK can choose to have a child on his own and not have to be in a relationship to do it with a woman. You know, it's, 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 it's so liberating. That idea, that concept is, 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 is just amazing to me. So um, you ask about the gay thing and that is part of my story and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to minimize it, but it's not a part of, uh, I guess, Mars's story or the route to parenthood because I could have been straight and done this this way as well you know um, but uh, I've never I've never had anyone say to me you shouldn't you shouldn't be you shouldn't have a kid you're gay or even you shouldn't have a kid you're single I've never in fact actually I think I get a hall pass being a single guy because um, because yeah our expectations of fathers are really low <laughs> We don't really expect fathers to do much or be much. Um, I'll be out and about with Miles and I'll get commended on just, you know, the fact that he's alive. <laughs> like that people <laughs> will compliment me on the fact that I've got a smiling baby. Or when they ask me about Miles, or when I talk about Miles, I, I, I just get pats on the back for, for being a guy who's able to keep a boy alive, you know? Like, but for a single woman, you think single mothers get that kind of affirmation? Think, think single mothers get pats on the backs for keeping their children alive. You don't think the expectations that we have on women to be good mothers is like up here. And the expectations we have for men is down here. And that's, that, that's not right, you know, and that's just as destructive as it is for women as it is for men. Because if we don't expect men to be any good at being dads, then how can we expect there to be good dads out there? Um, so I, I get that a lot. But as a single man, I also get a lot of people who assume so if I'm out with Miles, I'm in a shop and this comes from men just as much as it does from women. Cause you would think it would come from women, but I even had some male shopkeepers say this to me. Um, so I'm there with Miles in the pram or he's strapped onto me in a sling and they go, Oh, isn't that nice? Is it dad day today? Is it, is it dad day? And I'm like, it's always dad day. Every day so they assume, day. they assume that I'm a babysitter for my child or that there's a woman somewhere in the wings waiting me to come home or I'm doing something on a temporary basis the idea that this guy with a child is his main caregiver is still something that is just like you know you can they don't they can't internalize that and that's a real shame Clark, um, that sound familiar that, that, that's you know the reason we're here you know like David David's had those situations I've had them you know where what's your response then when they say that to you you know, is it dad day? It's like every day's dad day. 
know, yeah. like, like my, my kids can, can and it's like good on you it's like good on you well done it's like well done you well done right. you isn't it it's like, <laughs> like my, my kids can probably count on one hand how how many times they've gone you know a consecutive 24 or 48 hours without seeing me or not without me you know and i do have an active you know co-parent um and we talk about how well we get along depending on the month but it it, it, it is the societal expectation that if you are with your kids as a dad, yeah, like I even hear some dads say, I have to babysit my kids. You're not babysitting them if they're yours, right? You, you made them. Yeah, but that, you know, to your point, if, if the expectation isn't there from us as fathers, you know, that, that fathers can be active and good parents, yeah, how do we breed more of us? How do we how do we create that that paradigm? Yeah, exactly. Let me ask you a question because I've thought about this a lot. Do you think there's an element of that which is very compelling for us? Because to be considered um, incompetent as a caregiver, because we're by de facto men, it buys into our kind of need to feel like real men you know like it, it engages on a, on a level where it empowers our masculinity to be considered to be crap at raising a child i don't know whether that is something that comes from my point of view as a gay man but i do think that a lot of men can buy into this i mean i don't know how to look after a child i'm incompetent oh i don't know how to put on a nappy oh i don't know how to tie a slip oh yeah you're right <laughs> that kind of idea that we don't really know what we're doing because it buys into this need to feel like we're real men. And if we accept that real men don't know how to take up, look after a child, then if we accept that we actually are good fathers, that we do know how to look after men, does it in some ways emasculate us in this society? Is, is there a fear of being emasculated because it, it buys into that fear of not being considered a true man? I, I don't know. I, I I, I think there there might be something to that perspective, and I think it's it's also framing, right? Like, because we 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 had done an episode you know, some time ago, we talked about like the court's perception of what 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 is a good father, or if you look at the studies, you know, and what the court look or, or what's a good parent, and the idea of like, oh, you know, the name of the kindergarten teacher, oh, you know the you know you know the name of the, the child's physician, or, oh, you know, this, these specific bits of information. And then you turn it on the head and you go, well, what, what is your child afraid of? Yeah. You know, what, what, is, what is your child's favorite superhero? You know, what is the thing that makes your child happiest? Like, these are things that dads know. You know, because, the, because these are things that, you know, we help shape and we spend time engaging with our children with. You know, so... I think what as a man, I, I take I took pride in my ability to change diapers and to and to tie my sling, you know, my, my Moby wrap, and to, you know, even though it wasn't as good as their mom did, be able to comb their hair, you know, like those things. Are, those are things I took pride in, but it was also things that are very much male. Like, you know, like I think about the things I enjoy about being a dad now is my daughters come and they have conversations with me. And, you know, as you pointed out, like life lessons, like anytime there's something that I want them to retain, I go, hold on, wait, life lesson. Like, 
this is the life lesson. Like, oh, another life lesson? I'm like, yeah, it's a lot of shit you're going to have to figure out between <laughs> now and the time you walk out the door. I'm trying to jam-pack it all in. You can always come back and ask, but we, we need to re retain some of this shit. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it, it's absolutely – there's absolutely that, that internal struggle. For, and it, and it, it, blur, it does, I, I'm interested in those struggles with masculinity because it does blur that line between what is considered masculine and not masculine. And so if, you've, if you're a man who has, whose, whose identity is about trying to, is, who identifies with masculinity more or has insecurities about being considered not masculine, then these, these men can buy into this assumption that, um, that a real man is, 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 is someone who fails at being a father. So it's, it's easy to fail at being a father then. You know, it's easy to walk away. It's easy to um, have no faith in yourself, have no confidence in yourself, give it all up to the mother or to walk out or to leave the family because it, uh, it enables them to feel like more of a man, more, more, more male maybe, because the society is telling them that if you're male and you're a caregiver, that's not right. There's something off there. We don't quite understand it. You need to be like, you, you're a man, you need to act like that. It's the incompetence of the male father figure is what's accepted in our society. We understand that. We've got a shape for that. We can, like, I, I, I recognise that shape. I can identify it. I've seen it all over the movies. I've seen it all over, you know, the TV, in books. I understand the failed father. Dad left what home. What I don't understand is the, mom, is the successful mom, father. Mom goes away on a business trip. Dad left at home with the kids. And the kids right. are all over the place running through them and it's a goddamn mess. Tr treading on squeaky toys, falling downstairs, yeah. that kind of thing. Putting yeah. on nappies back to front, sitting there covered in baby food. Well, there's a market for male pain, right? <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way it is. Um, and we kind of laugh along like clowns because um, yeah. uh, it, it, you know, once it, it, it degrades us, but we're men, actually, we kind of have the keys to the kingdom anyway, so we're not disempowered. So we can laugh at things that are sexist towards us. But also at the back of our minds, it's reinforcing our own beliefs about masculinity, you know? And what's really interesting actually about my role as a father these days, and I wasn't anticipating this, but I've never before been able to pass as easily as I can now as, as being a straight man. So it's like, I absolutely with Miles can, I've, I've suddenly got this, kind, this, this access to a kingdom that I was always slightly on the outside of. You know, I can walk down the street with Mars strapped to me and I am a straight man. Because you're a breeder now. Because <laughs> I'm a breeder. Right. It's, 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 I've spent years trying to pass, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> now I just put a baby on, the back, on my back and I'm fine. But it is interesting. It is really interesting. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not really been trying to pass. Like, I'm happy with who I am, but it's just... It's funny that you like you recognize the the, the 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 perception of other people is what it is. Yeah, having Miles with me puts me into certain boxes, and people aren't able to see past their own assumptions. You're a, you're a man with a child in a sling on a Saturday morning in the high street. You must be A, B, C, or D. Right. Well, usually it's just you must be A. There aren't really that many options I can be. It's like you're, you, your wife's at home because, she, you know, she's told you to go out and buy nappies and you've taken Mars with you because he's screaming. And, you know, it's like, that's it. That's the only option I can be at this stage. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like 
I buy into it sometimes. Like I'm as guilty as the next person. Like I don't always challenge it. Like because like you know, it's societal just, programming at this point. Like, I don't I, have time to challenge it all the time. And, so, and people aren't doing it in a malicious way. They're well-meaning people. These are these are good. These are nice people. I mean, it's nice that people speak to each other on the streets anyway. Let alone just ignore people these days. These are these are good people. So it's like okay if you want to see me as that that's fine i can take that you know i can i can be that if i have time and it feels right i'll challenge it and say well actually i'm a single dad um and that and that that elicits an understanding and a kind of learning experience of that person as well but um yeah it's it's really in, it's really interesting all these things i never like having miles is i never thought these things would did I think it'd be an issue? I thought there'd be some complications, but I never, um, never realized quite how bad it was for guys in society, like guys as dads. Never realized how low we, the, uh, how low our expectations are of men to be dads. We we really do not think that guys are up for it, you know, in society. We right. really have low expectations, right. and so that's sad. So, so, so we've been at this for a little while, right? And oh uh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've been rabbiting on. Yeah, um, I had one other question, and, and you know, this is you know, my the pseudoscientist in me. The, the selection of the egg donor, like, what what was that process like? Oh, that was that, that is really interesting, actually. Uh, that's a whole. I mean, I could do a whole other hour on the egg donor. Um, so, um, in the UK. Uh, Egg donation is um, anonymous, but it's not, it's not obviously completely anonymous because as I said earlier, a child created through a donor egg or sperm has the right at 18 to get identifiable information. But I, I will never get that information unless Mars choose to share it with me. Um, so really ultimately egg donors are anonymous. So it, it, I, don't, I don't know what she looks like. I didn't have a profile of her to read about her interests or what she liked to do, where, you know, what her upbringing was. You have very, very basic information that you can choose from. So you can have like um, ethnicity, uh, eye color, hair color, height, weight, um, educational level, and whether or not she's got proven fertility. And that's about it. And that's all you get. Wow. Um, so. Sorry, that's my cat. Um, who's wet, absolutely soaking. So, she <laughs> <laughs> so um, for me, one of the concerns I had was, what if my son doesn't look like me? Um, so why is that a concern? Because I would worry that he would look at the mirror and see a stranger. So I tried to choose characteristics were, were, were like my own. So black hair, blue eyes, Caucasian, similar height, although I, I couldn't get someone as tall as me. Uh, I think that was it. And then I said proven utility. I didn't care whether she was college educated or not because I'd quite like an artist for a son. So I, you know, I don't really, doesn't, that academic ability doesn't bother me. Um, so then they matched me with an egg donor who had those characteristics. Um, although they did the, the one that they chose it actually didn't have 
black hair. She had like brown hair and I was like, oh, it's not black hair. What am I going to do? It's brown. <laughs> it was a thing at the time. Right. And my friend was like, shut up. Just don't be ridiculous. Uh, so that's fine. So yeah. Um, and Mars looks like me and it, and it's incredible. But there are, you know, I look at Mars and there are elements of his features I don't recognize. And I, I sit there and I go, what, you know, who is this woman? I sit there and I think about that all the time. Yeah. So it's, because like when we had our, our our female guest on who was a single parent by choice and the way she described it it was almost like a takeout menu with yes. the options that are available yeah. for a sperm donor so it's like you you get an idea of the education their their hobbies their interests their parents you know their you know, ethnicity their like pretty much everything and you could check a box as to the things you want and the things you don't want yeah, it's it's it, in the UK. It's, it's a lot more pared down. It's it's literally five or six things. It's like a you know at the end of the day, it's like you can specify eye color, hair color, ethnicity, weight, height. That's your lot. And what you get from that is a lucky dip. You know, it, wow. you don't know anything about their background. You don't know how they were raised. You don't know. You know, you trust that they're medically fit because they wouldn't have passed screening. That they don't have any in, inherited or inheritable conditions you trust all that screening has been done, but it's, it's, you know, and, and then there are some people who even, who even are disgusted with that. You can choose those characteristics, people who think that, you know, you should just really put your hand in the, in the bowl and just pick out anything and like explaining to these people why it is important that you have some measure of control over the egg donor and who the egg donor is and how it shouldn't just be about, accepting the first thing that comes along because you should be so grateful that somebody is giving you an egg yes you're grateful yes it's a gift but you have a responsibility as the child's parent to make sure that you select characteristics which you're comfortable and happy with for your child you don't blindly just have a child with someone have sex with someone you know blindfolded and uh and create a family with someone you make a decision a considered decision about the women that you want to have children with Speak for, yourself. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I will say, well, in theory, <laughs> in theory, yeah. Speak for yourself, though. Um, but uh, let me, let me, let me, let me stop you there because, like I said, we've been at it for a little while. Okay. <laughs> some other stuff that um, um, we need to get to. Um, uh, listen, you are an amazing person. I love listening to you. Um, like Clark says, but I don't always agree with him about everybody else. But I will agree here. We need to have you back. <laughs> Thank you. The more, right? Cool. Uh, whenever you want. I've, I've really enjoyed today, tonight. I've really, you know, yeah. it's been really and, interesting. And we worked a long time at it, but we were able to make it happen. But we want you to tell us about, um, you know, your Facebook site. Talk to us or promote, um, you know, the BBC uh, documentary and yep. any and all social media um, that you know you may have. Or as Clark says, how the, can the people find you if they look? Okay, cool. I always forget to do that. Um, so my website is called DadB, www.daddbbe.uk. And it's primarily to support men in the UK to be dads, single men. Um, but there are, there's a community of guys on there. And I would never say, oh, you, you don't live in the UK, you can't join, not at all. Um, and then DadB has a Facebook group you can join. Um, it's private though, so I'm not quite sure. Well, you can find me on Facebook and I can send you the invite, David Watkins. 
It's a picture of Mars as my profile picture. Um, my Instagram is the dadness, the underscore dadness, D-A-D-N-E-S-S. -S. So you can find pictures of me and Mars there and also you can find links to the website. Um, the BBC documentary isn't out yet, but I will let you know when it is. And it will be on, I don't know if you get BBC iPlayer or BBC World Service over in the States. I'm sure you must have access to BBC somehow. Yeah, because you can watch the website in, in uh, BBC America as well. Yeah, and then um, there's a couple of things I'm doing. Like I don't know if you know about Lad, the Lad Bible. Um, that's like a big social media platform for men in the UK. The Lad Bible. I've got a piece coming out on that, and that's on Facebook. And there's um, a new, uh, a little short news snippet about me on another BBC site. But the best place to see all that is all on the website under the news section. If you go to dadb.uk, you'll see the news section and it will have all those links. A couple of radio interviews. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, as I say, primarily, uh, it, I'm, it's about the work I'm doing on social media is, is raising awareness in the UK because this is really, like I say, a new thing for single guys. But we really would value any input from all over the world and just have stories of men who are choosing to become single dads. Like, that's the thing. Like, you, you, choose, you choose it. I think so much of the single dad narrative has been around um, present company accepted, but around men who have failed at something. And so, or where something hasn't gone to plan or where divorce is involved or separation. And so I think what's really interesting about Dadby, it's about narratives of men who are coming to this through things working out to begin with for them, if that makes sense. So they're becoming fathers from the outset because it's single fathers from the outset because it is what they want to do from day one. And that's a new narrative, a new male narrative that we haven't really heard before. I don't know about the States, but in the UK, that's a really new thing. So I think we should celebrate that. Thank you. Clark, call the action. Ladies, gentlemen, and consenting adults, thank you for joining us for another episode of Single Dad, Why You Mad? You know, we appreciate all of you. We appreciate you following us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, and particularly wherever you can find podcasts, we're out there. David, anything you want to add? Single dad, why you mad? Single dad, why you mad? Single dad, why you mad? Single dad, why are you mad? Single dad, why 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 you mad?